www.office.fm Weekly Coworking Show, episode number 2 Today, I'm delighted to have Ryan Chatterton, his founder of Coworking Insight The practical advice and resources to help you run your space He also marketing director of Hantu Spaces A simple and smart coworking software Without further ado, please welcome Ryan Chatterton There's some working have a legal address virtual office feature meaning mm-hmm. the co-working like giving you a legal address to your business but yep. some government uh, didn't not to the that they didn't agree with that kind of right. uh, the kind of facilitate so what do you think to approach the government hmm. to use that Feature inside co-working. I think in general, most government officials are interested in two things. Uh, one, and it depends on where you live. You know, some people live in really corrupt societies and some people live in, I mean, I think every society has some level of corruption. Um, so, I, but it's all about usually most people are in those positions because they want influence or power or something like that. So um, I'd say that typically you have to find out how it's in that person's personal interest to, to work with you and to allow this. Um, I think a lot of governments also prevent this because um, either they have agreement with agreements with other, other governments um, to prevent things like tax evasion um, or money laundering. And so it definitely makes sense. I think there are some really practical reasons why governments should be very, should, should closely watch the use of virtual addresses and, and registering business addresses uh, in other countries. Um, but it also can be a, a little difficult to... Yeah, I understand it. It makes it makes business a little bit hard. Um, but I'm curious, like, what's the? Uh, I think it depends on what the use case is. Like, what what are people wanting to use virtual addresses for? And I think most of the time it is for, like, it is for like tax evasion stuff. So so it's like, well, <laughs> then you're really like doing it in a way that's pretty like like it's not it's not what the virtual address is for, right? The virtual address is you should be able to register a business. Um, there's plenty of European countries you can do virtual addresses that sometimes virtual office feature bundling with online community like online community uh, mm-hmm. maybe like Slack so right. working on a claim it could bring good networking if member willing to join how you manage this online community and prevent it to fail how to make the co-working community still active still active mm-hmm. even though they're not in located in one space and mm-hmm like giving them suggestion? This is a really great question. Um, and I actually wrote a really long article about it a couple weeks ago um, on Coworking Insights. So everybody should check that out. Um, I, I have a real, I think it was called, yes, but do your members really want that? And I think that the title is, we, we as coworking managers, we come up with these really, clever ideas for things we want to do, like implementing online community management tools or an online community. But the question that we have to keep coming back to um, 
when, especially when we do things and we see that they're not really working the way that we anticipated is yes, but do our members actually want this? And the truth in most cases with online communities is that most coworking communities don't want community. I think that the best example of an online community is probably Alex Hillman's community at Indie Hall. Um, yeah. That was created because the community at Indie Hall was so great that when people moved away, they still wanted to stay connected to those people. Um, and so they created the online community because those were, those were their friends, right? They had a personal connection oh, with, with those people. Yeah. Right. And so, so you can't, you, you can't just put an put, create an online space and tell people who don't know or care about each other to connect with each other because like we don't even do that in like we have Facebook, but I'm not reaching out to people in like uh, Sweden and saying, Hey, let's be friends. It just doesn't work like that. That's just not how people work. Right. So um, the biggest, I think the first mistake is that many spaces don't have a good community already in person. And so don't implement, uh, don't add more tools to something that's not working. Um, there's a saying that's like adding processes to uh, an inefficient operation amplifies the inefficiencies. And so it, it works the same with your community. If your community isn't working, don't add more tools to it uh, or processes because you need to work on the basics, which is building, like cultivating that community. Um, and then the other thing is that I think uh, many members don't want another thing to log into. So use something they're already using. So Facebook groups work really well for that. I think uh, Slack is pretty good because lots of people use Slack these days. It didn't used to be that way. Um, but I think that the only time that implementing like a dedicated online community tool really makes sense is, is if you have a bunch of members who are communicating online and they just need more tools, like they need better ways to plan things like events or meetups with each other and stuff like that. Um, and there are some cool tools out there. I mean, Hilo is pretty cool. Business, business is pretty cool. Um, but I think it's, it, yeah, to think about it, work on community a little bit more. Um, and then once you get there, the other th mistake that people make is they don't host the online space the same way they host their in-person space. So what's your advice for people who just getting started to create co-working space? Do they need to have founding member first or they just need to build the space and working out to find the member later on? Um, you know, I, I know that there's the typical advice is that you should build your community before you build your space. Um, I tend to agree with that um, just because I, I think it is less risky. Um, but if you're in a place where co-working is just exploding, I, I really, I don't think that you should not start thinking about your space or start thinking about design or real estate at all. I think you, you should definitely be thinking about that um, in, in tandem with, Uh, building your community. I do think that people should always start marketing and partnerships earlier. Um, don't start the day you open, start, you know, while you're building the space. I, but mostly I think what I'm talking about is like members. So if, if your goal is to have a full vibrant community in your space, uh, then involve people who are already community leaders in the creation of that community. So um, chances are most co-working founders a lot of co-working founders aren't community leaders yet 
this is often their first time ever kind of being in a community leadership role. And, but there are people in your community in your city who, who already lead communities. And so what you do is you go to them and say, Hey, you, I want you to be like on our advisory board. Obviously you can use the space for free for all of whatever you want to do and all your people that you lead, you know, let's, let's figure out a way to do this together. And, and I think the problem is that we often look at those potential strategic partners, those community partners as potential customers, when the truth is we should look at them as, as business partners. So. There's a lot of trend about co-working eating the world, co-working come to cafe, restaurant, hotel, hospital, even more nightclub. Do you think all traditional office could go on and change into co-working? Um, I think that we're already seeing that. I think that, um, I think that every, every traditional space, commercial space, um, and we're seeing living spaces, uh, and office spaces, industrial spaces. I think they'll all be transformed by the idea that coworking, um, presents, which is that space can be more flexibly managed and, uh, that we can maximize the value of every square inch of space that we have. So, um, with that thought in mind, it's, it's not that it's not co-working that's eating the world. It's, it's the ideas that it, that are contained inside co-working. And this, I think gets back to like why co-working is kind of just a, it's a word that hopefully we stop using someday because not everything's co-working, you know, like um, <laughs> it, it's not like even two co-working spaces that most people would go, yeah, that's co-working are very different than each other because one might host lots of events. One might have more offices one might rent ex- meeting rooms to external parties and one might just not have any meeting rooms. And, um, so it's, it's really dangerous, I think, to, to homogenize spaces based on the term co-working. Um, but yes, I think that it, it, it is already transforming every industry um, because we're, we're realizing that with technology and um and, and marketing, frankly, marketing, uh, we can regulate the flow of people in and out of spaces um, and capture value. So uh, traditionally, offices really didn't do marketing, like or they did really old school marketing, right? Like if you look at the, the marketing practices that a WeWork employee is engaged in versus a an office manager from you know two thousand five. Do you think? Do you think reduce reduce? R E G G U S. Is it co-working or still traditional office? I, again, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, what is co-working? And I think it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a it's, it's like, it's, like similar, but it's different. But yeah. Um, in the sense that they are, are taking a, a large space, I'd say it's a shared workspace. I think that if, if we were going to define like what co-working is, I think it's, it's people who don't work together, working alongside each other, often forming relationships. That can happen in a traditional office. That can happen in a cafe. Um, it doesn't require a space. But um, so yes, a Regis could be a co-working space if that activity is happening. So I think that's where the danger is, right? Is that co-working isn't a thing. It's an activity. So it's it's not like it's anyways. So, so deciding whether a space is a co-working space or not. Um, I guess you could say is a measure of how, of to what degree that activity is happening. And I would say that in most cases, Regis does not have a lot of that activity going on. 
um, usually you have people working in silos, working in their offices, not really engaging with each other. Uh, but I've also been to some what people would call serviced offices or executive suites where there is a community and the people do interact, even though they don't work in the same company. And and so in that example, like I would say that yeah, that's coworking. Yeah, but sometimes sometimes you go to spaces and it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, next question uh, about Hubble Space. What's mm -hmm. the feature that you think very valuable for other coworking host or owner? Um, I mean the the biggest thing I think with Hubble is that it's it's very it's very user friendly. It's very simple. Um, it. it we've taken the approach of, you know, trying to do all of the things that most co-working spaces want to do without, you know, as far as software goes without doing everything. So we get crazy feature requests that, you know, sometimes we'll say, yeah, you know, maybe next year or something like that. When in truth, it's like, we may never implement it because it's a Can you specify new store extraneous feature that most people wouldn't use. So our goal is to um, make it simple, intuitive, and really fast. Um, but I think our booking calendar is really nice. <laughs> If you're talking about a specific feature, I think our booking calendar works really, really nice and smooth. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, but it mostly does, uh, it does everything that, that you'd want a tool to do. Recurring billing, prorating uh, billing, you know, automatic payments and invoicing, um, Yeah, But booking they, calendar. Yeah, so we have a we have a web app for uh, members to book spaces with. We're actually in the process of kind of overhauling it uh, and making a new a new kind of web application for users and members to uh, purchase like day passes and uh, make bookings and uh, manage their accounts and everything. So we're actually building a new one right now. Um, which I think will be finished in like the next few weeks. Uh, what's your future plan of Corking Insight? Um, so right now we are expanding uh, our contributing authors. Um, we're getting people to contribute articles from all parts of the industry, um, mostly usually people who work in spaces. Um, especially I love to have more people who... I think founders are interesting and they have an interesting perspective, but I think it's more interesting to hear, more useful to hear from people who are on the front lines managing co-working spaces. So community managers, front desk people, event managers, because they're usually the ones dealing with a lot of the work <laughs> and founders tend to be a little more idealistic and not as connected to the day-to-day -day work. Um, but they can also have interesting perspectives as well. Uh, so expanding our authorship, uh, I still really like to experiment with some other content mediums like podcast or which I kind of tried to do last year, but I didn't stick with it. And then um, like to do some stuff with co-working employment and co-working jobs. Um, trying to you mean like remote co-working? Uh, yeah. So like, um, like co-working space in Singapore has a, you know, a job opening for a, CEO or an event manager and someone living in, um, I, I don't know, like Australia or something like that wants to, you know, take that, you know, has experience. It's like, how do you connect those two? Because usually it's pretty regional. 
Um, but I think that there's a really interesting opportunity for people to hire other people with experience in co-working from all over the world and, and create some cool cultural exchange as well as keep developing, keep developing people. Cause I think that a lot of people fall out of the, a lot of people who get into co-working don't stay in co-working, um, because they can't find a lot of job growth. Um, but I think if we can open up the market to be global, uh, for the co-working em employment, then, um, people will stay in and they'll get better and we'll build some cooler spaces. So. Uh, one additional question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you think the factor could bring corking spell? There's a lot of factors. I mean, but I think that the biggest one that I see all the time is that rent goes up. And I think that's part of, goes back to the planning process. Like, um, if you are starting a space and you don't think about your financial management out for like 10 or 20 years, um, with you know you sign a five-year lease yeah in five years maybe your market goes up and and if you're if you making any money relies on you not having a rent increase ever then that's just totally unrealistic you know get a good deal on rent or buy a building um and the last the one that i think causes them to fail is um uh, the, usually the people in charge stop caring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If they stop caring, then they stop finding creative solutions to problems, which that's like co-working is just this long exercise in finding creative solutions to problems because it's, there's, it's just such a complex business. So uh, if the people at the top stop caring, the people in the middle won't care, and then it will just fall apart. But that and rent. Rent is usually the biggest one. to run your space you can follow ryan on twitter at cowork insights likewise you can also follow us at the office crew stay tuned for the next episode